If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter number 27 this morning. I appreciate the worship this morning. I appreciate the songs of worship. I, I got I to be honest, I, I can't help but think sometimes that we say and sing more than we believe sometimes. And I'm saying that not just for you, I'm saying that for me. We say and we sing things that we really do struggle to believe. And it's always easier to say something or sing something than it is to actually latch a hold of that truth and to believe it with all of our heart. But I can tell you, everything that was sung in the song this morning, a lot of them pulled right from Scripture. You can believe every word of it. It's all true. Um, God's testified of it. He's promised us. And he's not a man that he should lie. Um, I kind last week when I closed the service, I said some things at the beginning that I kind of or at the end that I kind of just want to hitch up to this morning. Over the last several months, the sovereignty of God has been at the forefront of my thoughts and in my personal Bible studies. And it just thinking about the sovereignty of God has given me a more peace of mind, I believe, than I have ever had and and i know where we're living and i know what's going on all around us and i know you think that i'm being um that maybe that i'm exaggerating but i can tell you the more that i have studied and pondered and just considered the sovereignty of god the more settled i have become the more at peace that i am even in spite of the storm that's raging all around us um i believe that god is sovereign over all now, when you look up the word sovereign, Webster's Dictionary defines sovereign like this, above or superior to all others, chief, greatest, supreme in power, rank, and authority. That's the definition of sovereign. But when we talk about um, the sovereignty of God, we most often express the sovereignty of God by three little words, Simply, God is in control. He's above all, superior to all, chief of all, greatest of all, supreme in his power, supreme in his rank, supreme in his authority. Um, there, there may be a lot of stuff that's over our head, but there's nothing that had never been under his feet. He is high and lifted up, exalted above all people, all things, all nations. Um, God is in control. Now, we say that, just like I said while I go about these songs, we say it and we sing it, but we have a hard time believing it. We say that. And, 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 and I, I think we would agree that we believe that, but sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we say it and we believe it, but we have a hard time envisioning how God can be in control when things look the way that they look. And... and, and um, and, and when we start looking at those situations and circumstances, it, cause, it causes us, it casts doubt in our heart and mind whether or not God really is in control. And if we let those doubts linger around too much, it'll rob us of our peace. It really will. If we, if we really begin to question, is he really in control? Um, it will rob us of our peace. It will distract us from what our primary purpose is. Again, I agree with Millie. Our primary purpose here is to make Jesus known to the world. Now, we can do whatever else we want to do in this world. We can buy houses and cars and climb ladders of success in our career. We can, and none of that stuff is bad. Spend time with your family. Do all that stuff. Do it all. But still, if you come down to our transcendent, primary, first and foremost purpose on this earth as Christians, it is to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and his free gift of salvation. That's it. That's it. That's who, we, that's who we are. That's what we're here for. But if we forget about God being in control, if we, if we start having questions and doubts, it'll, it'll, it'll make us, it'll rob us of our peace. It'll rob us of our joy. It'll distract us from fulfilling our primary purpose. And it will even cause us to question the character of God. Is he really good? If he's in control and all this is going on around us, can he really be a good God? Now, that's the devil. That, all those doubts all those fears all those questions about the nature and character of god is the enemy um, trying to take us away from 
um, our primary purpose and, our, and rob us of our peace. So, um, I don't typically use the book of Acts when I want to preach something doctrinal. When I wanna, if I want to talk about sovereignty or salvation or anything like that, the book of Acts is a historical account. I don't really go to it for, for doctrinal issues. I usually will go to one of Paul's epistles or something that Jesus said in the Gospels. And if you're going to establish Bible doctrine, you get it from those truths. Uh, the book of Acts is simply a chronicle of, of what the New Testament church, specifically the apostles, um, experienced in the 30-something years after um, the ascension of Christ. It gave kind of a timeline of the history of the early church and the spread of the gospel. Um, and even though I don't often use the book of Acts doctrinally, sometimes we know the doctrine. We know about God's sovereignty. We know what the scripture teaches about God being in control and God being sovereign. But sometimes we need to see that sovereignty in action so that we can identify it and we can relate to it and we can, um, we can be drawn back to a place where we have confidence in the sovereignty of God. Now, there's a, there's, there are literally hundreds of scriptures I could have went to. Um, hundreds of them. I ain't, I'm, I'm not joking. We can, one of the first ones in the, Old, in the Old Testament I can think of is the story of Joseph and how the sovereignty of God followed him all of his life until he said those words that we sing in the song, what the enemy meant for evil, you turned it to good. God knew what he was doing all along through Joseph's journey. But I kept being drawn back to this passage of Scripture uh, in Acts chapter 27 and the first part of chapter 28. Um, and, and the context of this is, is Paul is getting very near to the end of his life. Um, he's already taken his third missionary journey. It's been completed. Um, the Jews had brought charges against him um, that he was guilty of, of heresy and insurrection and, and, and literally trying to get him tried and condemned. And, um, and Paul was born a Roman citizen. His parents were Roman citizens, and although Paul was a Jew, he was Jewish of the tribe of Benjamin. He was also a free-born Roman citizen. And when the Jews found that out, and the Romans found that out, they realized they had to be careful how they handled, handled him because Roman citizens had special privileges uh, in that time. So Paul, after he had been tried by the Jews and, 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 and seen some, you know, kind of like Jesus did, Herod and Pilate, who were, who were basically... Jewish men working for the Roman government, when they realized Paul was a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. He appealed to have his case heard before Caesar. Not to bring charges against the Jews, but just to be released from, acquitted, if you will, of what they were charging him with. So he's, he's in the end of his life, um, on his journey to Rome, so that he can make his appeal to Caesar and either be released or condemned or whatever Caesar wanted to do. And like his life, the journey that we're going to read about this morning is a dangerous journey. Like his life, um, he's about to go through some perilous times, but the God who is in control had his hand upon Paul every step of the way. Now, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, but I timed myself and how long it would take me to read this. So you're going to get about seven minutes of scripture reading and the rest of us preaching, all right? I can read all this in seven minutes, but this is how I preach a lot on Wednesday nights. I, I kind of preach as I go, and we're going to preach as I go this morning. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture and then talk to you about it. So Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. When it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Justice, uh, Julius, rather, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of... Um, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus of Macedonia of Thessalonica being with us. Now I'll say, let me just pause, Luke is writing this. The, the doctor Luke is writing this, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So when he says us, he means me and Paul and whoever was traveling with Paul, possibly Silas. He told us one man by name, Aristarchus of Macedonian that came from the Thessalonican church. He's mentioned in other places. And the Bible said, the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. When they came to that harbor, they released Paul to go to his friends, get what he needed, and come back to the ship. When we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Listen, you're already beginning to set up the danger. The winds were 
contrary, and they were trying to hide their ship behind islands to stay out of the wind. When we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us thereon. So now Paul's changing ships. This is probably a grain ship that is headed from Egypt um, to, um, to Italy. When we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon. And hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, it's putting them at the end of September, that would have been the feast of the Passover, beginning of October, November, the Bible said, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part, the majority advised to depart thence also if by any means they might attain to Phoenix and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete and lie toward the southwest and northwest. Now, all that's saying is that they, the, the, the harbor that they were in was not a good place for them to winter at because of the winds coming into that harbor. It, a better harbor was found a little bit down the road. And, and, and Paul had encouraged them. Um, Luke gives very specific details about where they were, where they went to, when they left, what they found along the way. Uh, and it didn't matter whose ship Paul got on, um, the, the things were not changing as far as the dangerous situation um, that they were placing him in. But God went with him. Here's the first point I want to make from this little section of Scripture, and I'm just going to build on it. Sovereignty will speak to us about what's right and what's wrong, what's safe and what's not safe. The sovereignty of God um, will at times try, I, I should say, all, at all times, will try to save us from hardships that we might face just by speaking of safety. Now, Paul knew from personal experience that it was not a good time of the year to be sailing. Remember, this is, he's done taking three missionary journeys. He'd already traveled thousands of miles by ship. He knew when the weather was commodious to travel, and he knew when it was okay to travel and when it wasn't. So out of personal experience and a discernment that God gave him, he said, I perceive that this journey that we're about to take is going to cost us. It's going to put us in danger. Um, what's on the ship is going to be in danger. The ship itself is going to be in danger. And our own lives are going to be in danger. He knew from personal experience and divine discernment um, that they were about to embark on a journey that might cost them more than they wanted to pay. Even before he changed ships, um, contrary winds had already begun to blow. Um, they did not heed Paul's warning, even though he pleaded with them um, the master, the owner of the ship said, I think we need to go. The majority ruled against him, and they went against Paul's wishes. They rejected Paul. Um, but the only one that really mattered in this situation still had Paul's life in his hands. And, and I said that to say this. And, and we, we, we studied the Red Sea rules a few, a few weeks ago, and this is one of the points that the Red Sea rules brought out too. Poor choices on our behalf do not negate God's sovereignty over our life. It does not rob Him of control. Now, we may have to pay the price of poor choices, but that does not mean that God is not still in control. God's sovereignty is still able to guide us and to guard us even when poor choices have been made. Um, Joseph's brothers made poor choices, but God's hand was still on Joseph's life. And Potiphar made a poor choice, but God's hand was still on Joseph's life. People have made poor choices, but God's sovereignty has seen them through the poor choices and led them on regardless, guided them and guarded them regardless. Now, I'll, I'll say this, and then we're going to move on to some more scripture that gets into the heart of what I want to talk to you about. Sovereignty will sometimes tell us that if you continue on this course, it's going to cost you something. But that doesn't rob God of his sovereignty when we make those poor choices anyway. And we might have some hardship because we did not heed that sovereign voice that's speaking safety unto us. We might have some hardships, 
But even if those hardships are decided for us by other people, God is able to deliver us and God is still in control of our lives, especially as His dear children. Pick up with me in verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. They're staying close to the land to shield them from some of the wind. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurycliden. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. They, they lost control of the ship. They literally could not go against the wind. And running under a certain island which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Now let me just pause and tell you a little bit about that. You read some other, you read commentaries and some other translations it was typical of them back then to drag the lifeboat behind the main ship. Not to mount it on the ship, but to drag it behind. Um, they, this, this, this ship that, they, that was their safety net that they were dragging behind had become imperiled by the sea and possibly filled with water. They had to pull that lifeboat on board, the main boat, in order to save it. You'll see some more of that uh, in just a minute. Which when they had taken up, they took that ship up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, struck sail, and so were driven. They literally wrapped ropes around the main ship to try to keep it together. They tied those ropes tight to give the, the, the ship some more reinforcement. Um, and then they feared lest they would fall into, in, into um, sand beds, and they struck sail and were driven. They, they had to get out of where they were at. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling. That's the stuff they use to control the ship. We cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars appeared in many, and in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, listen to this phrase, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after a long abstinence, after a long quietness, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not. Paul, you know, we talk about often the Scripture says, don't be afraid, fear not, 365 times, there's one of those times. Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. So the sailors were deceived. We started out this reading the south wind blew softly. Oh, here's our chance. Here, here's our window of opportunity. Um, the, the wind is favorable. Let's set sail while we can. Well, they didn't get out of the port good in this tempestuous wind, which was like a typhoon, a blue in, a northeaster, a blue in. And, uh, and they ended up in this storm for 14 days, tossed to and fro uh, in fear of the ship literally coming apart at the seams, but God was still in control. But God was still with the Apostle Paul. Sovereignty sails through storms. Sovereignty sails through storms. Just because you're going through a storm, even a storm that you didn't choose to go through, even a storm that uh, was not because of your poor decision, but because of somebody else's poor decision, God's sovereignty is still there. Uh, he is still in control. He's still sailing with you through the storm. Now, they did all they could do. Um, they literally threw off everything. They lightened the ship as much as they knew how to lighten the ship. They took part of the tackling of the ship, which would have, been, which would have helped them with the na navigation of the ship and, and trying to lighten the load so the ship would stay afloat. They discarded things that they knew were essential for them to the point that the Bible says they had no hope. But God said they did. Paul had a word from God. And that word from God said, the ship is going down. 
but not a soul on it is going to be lost. And he came up twice and said, y'all just need to believe with me and be of good cheer. Now you think about this. They're in the middle of a storm like probably many of them had never seen before in their life. I mean, they're literally sailing the sea in a wooden boat fighting a hurricane. And Paul's saying, be of good cheer. Because I believe what God said is going to happen just as he said it. And although you're going to lose, you, 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 you're suffering all this loss because you made a poor choice, but your life is not going to be lost. So be a good cheer. Sovereignty sails through the storms. Now this is, if you look at his biography, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is actually Paul's third shipwreck. He'd been in three shipwrecks, or this being the third shipwreck. Um, if, if he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 11 after this when it was his third, it could have been his fourth if this came after. I didn't research that a whole lot. But he testified he'd already been shipwrecked three times. Told us how many times he'd been beaten. Told us how many times he'd been stoned. Told us how many times he'd been in prison. He had gone through all of these storms before. And Paul says, I believe what God has said. And what God has said is, I am going to Rome to testify before Caesar. That is my mission. That is what God has ordained for me to do. This ship is going to be lost, but we're going to sail through the storm because the sovereign hand of God is watching over us. He, got a, he had a mission to accomplish, and he was certain that God was going to see him through until that mission was fulfilled. Y'all, we sing that song all the time. Most Probably the most um, prominent gospel song um, the most well-known gospel song in the history of the world. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. One of the verses of that song says this, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace have brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. John Newton wrote that song. He also happened to be a sailor who had his conversion moment in a night when that ship was about to come apart in a storm, and he remembered the faith of his mother and clung to the Lord Jesus Christ and his life was marked by that I have already come through so many trials through so many storms through so many dangers through so many toils through so many snares and God has safely brought me through them all and by his grace he will lead me home you have too I have too. We have too. We've been through storms we didn't think we could survive. Sickness, death, loss, jobs lost, income in jeopardy. Listen, we've been through trials before. And guess what? The sovereignty of God has sailed with us through every storm that has come our way thus far. Amen? He sails with us through the storm. He is not abandoned. I know it's bad. I know you can look around at all the things that are going on in the world, but I'm here to tell you, God is not abandoning His children. Until our mission on earth is accomplished, we're going to sail through. And when our mission on earth is accomplished, we're going to sail on. Now you think I'm foolish for saying this, but I believe this with all of my heart. And the more I study the sovereignty of God, the more convinced I am of it. I am invincible until the Lord calls me home. I have refused to say this at every funeral that I've preached, beginning with my own mother-in-law. COVID was just a vehicle that the Lord used. COVID did not take my mother-in-law home. Jesus took my mother-in-law home. I ain't going to give no credit to the enemy because the enemy can't touch our life unless God allows him to touch our life. You remember when he tested and tried Job? Listen, ain't nobody had it worse than Job had it. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost all of his family except his wife who told him to curse God and die. But I'm here to tell you God was with him. God took it away. Uh, God gave it to him. God took it away from him. Um, he told he told God essentially told Satan you do whatever you want to do with Job but you can't take his life now there were some times in Job's experience where he said it had been better for me if I'd never been born but he never lost his faith in the sovereignty of God 
to do with him as he will. Long before there was ever a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to look forward to or back to, Job said, even though this disease consumes my body and you lay it in the ground and worms devour it. That's my paraphrase. That's what he said. He said, I know that in my flesh I will see God. I know my Redeemer lives. I know God is sovereign over my life. He's not abandoning. Listen, we are his children and he has not abandoned us. And until our life's mission is accomplished, we're going to sail on through with the sovereignty of God guiding us. Um, I'm not going to worry about when my date is. I'm not going to worry about how my date's going to come. Now, here's the truth of the matter. There have been a bunch of times I shouldn't have survived what I've already been through. I ain't, I, my B.C. life especially. I, but, I, but I can tell you this. God had a plan and a purpose. And part of that plan and a purpose was to redeem me and use me to proclaim the message of the gospel. Can I tell you God was sovereignly protecting my life even when I didn't know He was protecting my life? Can I tell you God was sovereignly protecting my marriage even when I didn't know He was sovereignly protecting my marriage? God was looking out for my health. God was looking out for my strength. God was looking out for my qualifications to be a minister of the gospel. God was looking out for me because He had a mission and a purpose and a plan for my life. And He's got one for your life. You ain't got to be Apostle Paul. You ain't got to be Keith. All you got to be is a child of God to know He's got a plan and a purpose and whatever storms come your way and whoever brought them your way does not override the sovereignty of God over your life. Acts chapter 27, verse 27. We're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter with this one. When the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. They knew they were getting close to land. They sounded. Under, what I understand a sounding was in that time is they had a lead weight attached to a rope, and they would throw that, that rope overboard. When it hit bottom, they'd mark it and pull it up and measure it. They threw it out the first time. It was 120 fathoms. They went a little further. They threw it out again. It was uh, actually 20 fathoms, which is 120 feet. They threw it out again, and it was 15, which is 90 feet, and they knew that they were drawing close to land. They were, they were, they were coming up. They were getting in shallower and shallower waters. So the Bible said in verse 29, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for day. Y'all ever wish for day? Man, I want this thing to come to an end. I want to see some hope in sight. Verse 30 said, The shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat. That's that same boat that they drug on board earlier. Now they're about to let it down to escape in the lifeboat under color as though they had cast anchors out of the fourth ship. They were abandoning the ship before the ship was tore apart. And here's what Paul said. To the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, <laughs> you cannot be saved. Now there's a message packed right there in that verse of Scripture. Except you abide in the ship. I love that old hymn, the good old gospel ship. I love that song, the old ship of Zion. Stay on board. Paul said, stay on board. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat. Now, there's a little bit of faith on their part. There's a little bit of, okay, Paul's been right. Um, I mean, he, we, we, he's got an authority of God about him. He's got the peace of God in his heart. He's telling us not to be afraid, but to be of good cheer. And so they listened to what Paul said. They wouldn't listen to him when he told them not to sail. But now when he says, if you get in that lifeboat, you're not going to survive. Stay on board. The Bible said they cut the rope and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. Now, most of these men on this boat are pagans, not Christians. Before them all, Paul gave thanks to God and broke bread and began to eat. And then verse 36 said, Then, they, then were they all of good cheer. And they also took some meat. 
And we were in all in the ship, 200, three score, 16 souls, 276 people on board. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it, was, if it were possible to thrust in the ship. When they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves." And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners. Roman soldiers that were entrusted to guard prisoners um, guarded them with their own life. If they lost prisoners, they would lose their life. So the soldiers' counsel, this is what they had been instructed to do, kill the prisoners, lest any of them swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards, and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they all, that they escaped all safe to land. Fourteen days in a storm's fury. Fourteen days of fasting. A season in that time where they wanted in everything in them just to jump ship, to get on that lifeboat and, and make whatever progress they could make to the shore. Paul simply wanted them to believe God with him. And here's the third point. Sovereignty survives the shipwrecks. I love the last verse of that. It said they all made it to shore. Some swam. <laughs> the ones that couldn't swim grabbed them a piece of board or floating debris and they all made it to shore. Everything else was lost. Now you got to get this. Everything else was lost. The ship was destroyed completely. All of the cargo that they had been hauling from Egypt to, um, to Italy, all the cargo had been tossed overboard to lighten the ship. Um, I don't know whether Paul, Luke's writing this. He's writing it firsthand. This is not, this is not second, third hand. This is a firsthand account. We went through this. I don't know whether they swam to shore, whether they floated on a piece of board to the shore, but every one of them made it to the shore. Life is in God's hand. The devil will do all he can to destroy us, but he cannot and does not decide when our life ends. Now, I believe that. I don't mean I'm going to go out and act foolish, but I believe my life is in his hands. Just as surely as 276 men in this boat entrusted their life to God's hands and to the man that was speaking to them the word of God and every one to a man made it. You might lose your health, you might use your you lose your wealth, you might lose your friends, you might lose your family, you might lose your sustenance. But God is still sovereignly in control of your life. Job lost all of those things. But God still had Job in his hands. Job's got us. I mean, God's got us in his hands. I can tell you the only real shipwreck we ought to be worried about in our life, seriously worried about, is the shipwreck of faith. Not believing what God said. Let me finish up the reading. Acts chapter 28. When they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous, and that doesn't mean they were cannibals or anything. It just simply means that they were um, not a Greek-speaking people. They were considered uncivilized by the world standards of Greek back then. The barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, 
whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beasts into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Just when things were beginning to look up, they'd made it to land and found the people there to be friendly, to be favorable. They built them a fire, received them, treat them treated them courteously. And the Bible says, oh, Paul was, you know, you got to admit, he's the main character on the ship at this point. He's, he's the main man on the ship. He, he basically told them everything that was going to happen and what they'd have to do to survive, and they'd all, they, they experienced everything he told them they'd experience, and they survived just like he told them. He's the main man, but what's he doing? Gathering sticks, serving them. Doing what he could to contribute. And no snake bit him crawled right out of the fire where they were receiving their warmth and latched itself onto him. And so here's my point. Sovereignty shakes off the snakes. You know, that the Bible calls the devil that old serpent. And listen, he's going to strike. I promise you he is. He, he's relentless. The Bible says that he's an adversary that is always walking about seeking whom he may devour. And, and sometimes, man, y'all know that we, when it rains, it pours. I mean, it, some, it seems like sometimes you can't get out of one thing and you're back in another one, the old snake bite. Even when you're doing everything that you can, even, even when, you're, when you're trying to serve God, even when you're trying to help others, the, the devil will bite. He will bite. Now, they judged Paul. When they saw the snake bite him, they was like, this dude has just come through a shipwreck and survived only to get bitten by a snake. The justice of God is being served in his life because he, he obviously is a murderer. He escaped the sea, but, but, but God's going to get justice, and so now a snake bites him. <laughs> and it didn't take them very long to change their mind about that and declare, no, nah, he ain't a murderer. He must be a god. Um, he shook the snake off. He had no swelling. He had no sickness. He didn't drop over dead. And so they changed their mind completely about him. And, and listen to me. When we trust the sovereignty of God, the devil can't destroy us. In fact, what he does that he means to use to destroy us, God uses it as a witness and testimony against him. They completely change their mind about Paul. They see in him in a totally different light now. When we trust God's sovereignty, the devil can't destroy us. He just builds our testimony. And until our purpose on earth is done, he's going to give. He promised us this. Go, go, go read the word. He has promised to give us the ability to shake off and tread on surface. That don't mean they ain't going to bite us. It don't mean that the enemy ain't going to attack us. But God has given us the ability to shake them off and tread on them. Last little portion of Scripture, verse 7. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed, laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed who also honored us with many honors. And when we had departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Paul's presence on that island was a blessing to everybody there. Now, I ain't got no doubt, even though Luke didn't record this, but everywhere Paul went, he preached the gospel. That was his life's mission. Everywhere he went, he talked about Jesus. I guarantee you <laughs> that if Paul ate at their table, if he healed their sick, he taught them about Jesus. Paul was a blessing. They landed on that island for a reason. Paul took the gospel to that island as well. 
maybe never been there before. Maybe the shipwreck was on that island because they'd never heard the gospel. They were, not, they were a barbarous people. They were not a people that were well-known. They were not a people steeped in the customs of what was going on um, in the times that they were living in. So Paul shipwrecked there. I'm quite sure he shared the gospel with them. He brought the healing power of Jesus into their villages. And, and, and then they, in turn, were a blessing to, 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 to Paul. Next to the last point, last one. I ain't going to use any scripture. I'm just going to close it up with. Sovereignty showers the supplies, both in the moment that we live and in the journey that's ahead. Now, Paul had seen this over and over and over again, so he don't have any doubt that God's going to supply. Um, in the moment and for what lies ahead, traveling thousands of miles in all kinds of perils, and he, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, thousands of miles, all kinds of perils, all kinds of treatments, God had provided with him through every one of them. In fact, when he wrote back to the church at Philippi, uh, one of those churches that he planted that wound him up in prison, beaten 39 times, chained to a wall, he sang in prison, an earthquake set him free that night, and, uh, and he led a Philippian jailer to the Lord. Uh, and, and writing back to that Philippian church, he bragged on them about how often they had provided for his needs. When he was in Thessalonica, you sent me money. When I was in Corinth, you sent me money. Everywhere that I've been, you've helped me. You've provided for me. God has used you to be in fellowship with me in the gospel. He has given me what I need through you. That's what sovereignty does. It provides for the people of God to accomplish the mission that God sent them own. And Paul had seen it over and over and over in all kinds of peril. God had provided what looked like an accident, turned out to be divine providence for Paul to finish the journey that he started. The Bible said they gave him what he needed in that moment, and they loaded him down with stuff to carry on his way. They done throwed everything else overboard. But God done replenished the supply. Will God do that for us? Sure he will. Last, last, last week when I prayed, I think it was when I prayed, I remember the, the story of the widow in <laughs> Elijah's. Remember, they'd been in famine. They were hunting Elijah. They wanted Elijah dead. They wanted him gone. People starving to death all around them. Elijah went to Jezebel, literally Jezebel's hometown, Zarephath. He wasn't running away from. He was running to where. I mean, he, he literally camped out. In the enemy's courts. And he ran into this old widow woman and, she, and he said, If you got something to eat, give it to me. She said, I got a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. And I'm on, I was about to make me a cake and my son a cake and we was going to eat it and then we was going to die. Starving to death, literally. And, and Elijah said, Before you do that, make me a little cake first. And she did. She trusted that Elijah was the prophet of God. She trusted that Elijah said it ain't going to rain, and it didn't rain. And she said, if Elijah said it, God spoke it to him, and I'm going to give Elijah a portion of what I have, even though that's all that we have. The Bible said that that barrel of meal and that vessel of oil did not fail her until the famine was ended. The sovereignty of God can supply the needs of His people. That's the reason I'm telling you, I told you last Sunday, we're going to do what we can to prepare for what's ahead, and we're going to trust God to take care of us with what we can't. He'll do it. He'll put us where we need to be, when we need to be there. Philippians 4, 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And here's the last point, and I'm done. Sovereignty shows off the Savior. You know what happens when, we, when, we, when we're living literally in storms and shipwrecks and snake bites? When our life is surrounded by trial and tribulation and turmoil and we have peace and we have joy because we know that our God is still in control. Do you know the world sees that? The world recognizes that there's something different and that difference is our faith. And who God is and who we are in Christ. 
It testifies of our faith. It testifies of our, comp, of our, of our confidence in the sovereignty of the God who rules and reigns over us. It shows him off. Joseph's old brothers, he's going to kill us now. Daddy's dead. Joseph's going to come after us. I mean, look how they treated him. Joseph said, nah. All that you did to me that you meant for harm, God brought us to this day where I have saved you alive and all your little ones. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord? Um, you know, perilous times are already here. The winds are already contrary. Sailing is getting difficult. It is. When the storm comes, are you going to have what it takes to simply take God at his word? Listen to me. <laughs> I don't know where we headed. I don't. I don't know where we headed as a nation. I don't know where, where we're headed as far as our health is concerned. I don't know where we're headed. There's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know, but here's what I do know. My life is in his hands. And I trust him. When it seems like all hope is lost, are you going to have the peace that you need to just stay on board and cling to the promises? Y'all, I'm telling you, y'all ought to watch some of those historical documentaries. Sandy won't watch them with me. She said they're too bloody and too gruesome, but... Y'all know that, that, that our ancestors, our forebears of the Christian faith, walked through hell on earth, tied to the stake and burned, torn asunder, sawn asunder. Read the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Not every saint experienced deliverance on this earth. They didn't. But the Bible said God prepared for them a better resurrection because they clung to their faith. Burning to death at the read Fox's Book of Martyrs, burning to death at the stake, they sang praises to God. I would encourage you this morning to get on board and stay on board the good old gospel ship. That's the only place where your soul is guaranteed safety. And there may be a time when the visible church is destroyed. When you can't find it, when there ain't a church building open. But if you still trust in Jesus, he's still sovereign over your life. And I would just encourage you, don't worry about the snakes, because they bruise our heel, but Jesus done bruised their head. And we know how the story ends. Even if we've got to walk through the tribulation to get there, we know how the story ends. Trust in the sovereignty of God. He's in control of all things at all times, even when it don't look like it. And not only is he in control, he is good. Amen. John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 1 John 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. It's the sovereign will of God to save us based solely upon our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior today? As our musicians come, let's stand. Lord, I've done my very best just to show a biblical illustration of your sovereignty. I believe your word teaches us that 
you're, you're no respect of persons. While it's true, Paul was a great, great, great man of God. Just as surely as his life is in your hands, our life is in your hands. We know that you love us because you proved it when you sent your son to save us. Paul said in Romans, if, if, if he did not, if God didn't spare his own son to save us from sin, will he not also give us all things? Lord, help us not just to say that you're in control or sing about you being in control. Help us to believe it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to trust that not only are you in control, but that you are good. And your plans for us are good. And your mission for our life is good. And whatever hell we may have to walk through on earth, it will come to an end. And we will rejoice forever and forever in your presence. Romans 8.18 For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We thank you for that incredible, amazing truth. Have your will and your way in this invitation. One here lost, I pray today, will be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.